morning, church. We haven't had a chance to meet yet. Uh, my name is Jake Stouffer. Really thankful we're, uh, you're here. Today, uh, I will be reading from Jonah uh, chapter 1 and parts of Jonah chapter 3. Uh, Jonah chapter 1 can be found on page 774 in the Pew Bible. I'll start with Jonah chapter 1, which says this. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he found the fair or he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, O you sleeper? Arise and call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? And where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea had grew more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea, then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know that it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then skipping down to Jonah chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, which says this. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey. And he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them all the way to the least of them. 
This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Jake. Good morning. <clears throat> if we haven't met him, Jimmy Dodd, and I'm on the teaching team here. It's always a great joy to be here with you. Make way for ducklings. Mike Mulligan and the steam shovel. Snowy day. Good night, moon. The giving tree. David and the giant. Daniel in the lion's den, Jonah in the whale. It's interesting that we have stories that take place in the scripture that we so commonly think of as almost kind of being children's stories. Jonah is definitely one of those stories. It's one of the most popular stories with children. Why? Well, because it's got so many elements, so many fascinating elements that we think that it's it's just a great story for kids. I mean, somebody gets swallowed by a big fish. What a great story is that. But the story is so good for adults. It is filled with extremes, but it's filled with extremes and we need to be able to grasp as adults because it's one of the greatest stories in Scripture about God's mercy and the fact that you cannot run away from God and what God calls us to do. It's a story about great contrast. It's a story about the mercies of God against the willful disobedience of Jonah. I think in one sense, the story is so familiar that we kind of just pass it off. It's a short story, very short story. And yet I think we need to take a step back today and just take a fresh look and see what the Lord might have for us. Because it's very true that Jonah teaches us about our struggles and about the mercy of God and the fact that we cannot run from the living God. So it's interesting because we're in the midst of this series about these prophets showing the fact that so many things that took place way back then apply very much now. And I think that we're going to see that there are so many aspects of Jonah which hit home very hard right now. There were so many times this week as I worked on this and I would just have to take pause and I would just have to say, Lord, in so many ways, I am Jonah. So we've talked about Hosea and Amos and Micah and Nahum and today, Jonah. Next week, we'll hit Joel, which was actually the first of the minor prophets written, but that's the order that they're in and actually in Scripture. And so this day, we're going to talk about God's loving call and then God's merciful, just overall presence, the fact he's always there, and then God's very gracious message. So first of all, let's talk about God's loving call. It says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, and then these words, go to Nineveh, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness is there, it's always before me. Jonah's not a priest, he's a prophet. He's a respected man, he's recognized in Israel. He's a man that they like to hear from. He's a man who speaks for the Lord, but he's also an activist. He's a reformer, and he's a troublemaker in a lot of ways. We have to pay attention to Jonah because there are 16 prophets, 16 prophets in the Old Testament. Jesus only quotes four of them, and he quotes Jonah twice. The fact that, Je you know, I mean, just the fact that Jesus speaks about Jonah twice says, okay, there's got to be a lot here. We've got to look really, really deep. 
And so we're told, he says, go preach against this great city. Why, why is it a great city? It doesn't mean it's great as in wonderful. It means it's just a large, massive city. Because at that point, Jerusalem has got a wall around it. It's about 2.5 miles. There's also a wall around Nineveh. It's about seven or eight miles around. 30 feet high. The walls are 50 feet thick. There's towers all around the walls. It's a spectacular city. But those in Nineveh were known to be absolutely terrible, horrific people. They would capture you in war, and they wouldn't just put you to death. They would bury you in the sand alive and let you bake to death. They would build pillars all around these walls, and they would build the pillars out of human heads. It's some of the most horrific things that you can think about. So there's millions of people there. There's all of these people there in Nineveh. It's a, it's a large city. It's a very powerful city. And for a lot of people, it's a hated city. And so Jonah hears these three words. Go to Nineveh. Go to your mortal enemy. Go to these people who are some of the worst people in the entire world and preach to them. It would be like telling a Jew in 1942, go to Berlin and preach to Hitler because he's going to repent because I want to extend grace to him. It'd be like telling a Jew in 2023, go to Hamas and preach to them because I want to extend forgiveness to them. Even those people who have committed the worst atrocities that you could ever dream of, I want to extend grace and forgiveness to them. It's like saying to the Ukrainians, go to Moscow, find Putin, and preach the gospel to him because I want to extend grace and mercy to him. We could go on and on with the illustrations. What God asked this prophet to do feels irrational. This is the last place in the world that I want to go. These people are not seeking forgiveness. They don't want mercy. They did not deserve mercy. And yet, mercy is always undeserved, right? Jonah fails, though, in this time to see himself as an object of God's mercy. He wants to go in the absolute opposite direction. Jonah says, go east, and he says, you know what? I want to go west. I want to go as far away as I can possibly go. Because, God, you've called me to be a prophet to Israel, not to Nineveh. This is not in my job description. This is not what a prophet does. A prophet has a very specific locale. You called me to Israel. Okay, I'm okay with that. Not to Nineveh. That's the last place in the world I want to go. So he goes down to Joppa, gets on a boat. He goes toward Tarshish in Spain. It's like God saying, hey, I want you to go out and preach in Denver, and you say, I'm going to go to New York and get on a boat and head for Europe. I want to get as far away as I can possibly go. This is essentially the resignation as a prophet, saying, God, I quit. This, I'm, I'm not going to do this anymore. If you call me to do this, I am absolutely out. Why didn't he go? Why was he so scared? Why was he so angry? He wasn't afraid for his life. He wasn't scared, although he could have very easily been because these people were horrific in what they did. He didn't go in fear that, gosh, I want to go and preach and 
nothing's going to happen and I want to feel terrible because I'm going to go and preach my heart out and there's not going to be, Lord, any response. That's not it. He didn't doubt that God could change their hearts. He ran away, we're told, in chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. He ran away because he knew that God could use him and he knew that God could bring about repentance and he didn't want that because he hated these people so much. It's almost like he's saying, God, I'm rooting for their destruction. I want them to be as des destroyed as a people. I don't want them to receive your mercy. I hate the Assyrian race. I'm running away because I am a self-righteous, racist, ungracious, superior bigot. I want to run my own life. I'm on my own. And I found myself this week reading that, judging Joan a little bit. Wow. Wow, Lord, keep me far, far away from that. And then I have to examine my own heart and see so much of that in my own heart. Hezbollah, Putin. Last week I was in the DR with a lot of Haitian leaders and heard stories about the fact that the gangs of Haiti are just creating so much. We're going to murder these children because they don't deserve to live because they have special needs. And you know what comes up in my heart? I hate those people. Just despise those people. God, what if you called me to go to preach to that specific group in Haiti with the promise of repentance? Would I want to go? It caused me to do some deep, deep, deep soul searching. But Jonah is abandoning his calling. He's abandoning his purpose. He's basically abandoning his basic identity in God. You see, this is the essence of sin, that we abandon our identity in Jesus, and we find it in all sorts of other things. It could be money, it can be sex, it can be power, it can be looks, it can be on and on and on. But it's a question we have to ask ourselves. How, how many of us are on the run? How many of us have looked to find our purpose in our life and our overall identity in very, very, you know, very different things far apart from God? God, I want to find my identity in having this home and this car and this amount of money and this amount in my 401k, that's, that's going to give me identity in life. Maybe you're on the run spiritually, morally, behaviorally. You're on the run from God. And you say, I will find my identity apart from God. Listen, there's always a ship leaving for Tarshish. There's always a way to run away from God. If you're lonely, there's always a young person that can fill any needs that you might have, or so you think. If you're a young man, there's always a computer nearby where you could fill your life with pornography or all sorts of other things. There's always a ship leaving for Tarshish. There's always a way to run away from God. There's always a way to go away from who he has called you to be, your basic identity in him, there's always a way to go in that opposite direction. And so you have this man, Jonah, and he wants to be far away from God. And so he goes and he gets on the ship and they go far out into the sea. And then God sends a merciful storm. Listen, it's not just a storm. It's, it's a tempest. It's a hurricane. God, God sends a hurricane. Make no mistake about it. This is God's mercy. This is God's grace. And so Jonah goes down below deck and lays down and just is 
is essentially saying, you know what, I'm, I'm done. I don't care if there is a hurricane. I don't care what happens. I want to just stay. I just want to just curl up in a ball. He's obviously depressed. I mean, he just wants to sleep. He just wants to be alone. And the captain comes down and says, call upon your God. And here's where there is so much irony. You have a pagan ship, a pagan captain, a pagan crew. <clears throat> and ironically, the prophet to all of Israel is summoned to prayer by a pagan captain. Ironically, a pagan, not Jonah, is concerned that people might perish. Ironically, everybody on the boat is praying except Jonah, except the prophet. Because of his sin, so many are in danger. You see, there's, there's a corporate nature to sin. Sin is never easy. Sin is never simple. Sin is always complicated. Sin is never isolated. There's always a corporate nature to sin. Sin is always going to have an impact upon others around you, sometimes much more so than others. And there's a corporate nature to what Jonah is doing. But this storm, understand once again, is not God's wrath. It's God's incredible mercy. Because storms come and they reveal who we really are. In the midst of storms, you're going to find out really who you are. There might be storms in your life. There might be divorce, there might be joblessness, maybe cancer, maybe unable to bear children. There are so many different storms that come in life. But understand that these storms are so often God's gracious mercy that are sent to help us find our basic identity in the Lord. Storms are a sign of God's love for us because he wants to use those storms for our good and for his glory. Let's go on. God's merciful presence. There's God's merciful presence. So those on the ship come and they ask five very, very important questions. Tell us, who, who is responsible for all of this? What kind of work do you do? What, what's your occupation? Where, where do you live? We don't know where you've come from. Uh, and so what, what, what's your country? And from what pe people are you? And the answer comes back, I'm a Hebrew. And I worship the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Liar. <laughs> Liar. If you worship the Lord, you wouldn't be going in the opposite direction. If you worship the Lord, you would be doing what he called you to do. He lies to these people. He is busted. He is caught. Listen, one of the most gracious things that can happen to us in life is that we get busted. Maybe you think, oh, it would be so terrible if I, if I was caught somehow, if I was busted in life. Listen, getting busted can be one of the greatest signs of God's mercy in your life. So if you're in the midst of an affair, if you're in the midst of being addicted to pornography, if you're in the midst of starting a Facebook friendship with that old high school flame, and you're starting to talk about things that you know are extremely inappropriate, if you're starting to skim just a little bit from work, I pray that you would get busted because it can be God's most gracious gift to you. That we wouldn't be able to hide these things, but the things, those things would be out there open and exposed. Jonah is absolutely busted. So they say, what, what should we do? Jonah does not say, well, you know what, keep rowing. He doesn't say, hey, let me come help you row. He says, you know what, kill me. Kill me. That's a heartbreaking verse. 
When depression is that great, when depression is that overwhelming, when you don't know who you are, when you can't find your basic identity, and there's a point where you give up and you say, kill me. Lord, take my life. Just throw me in. Listen, I understand that that might be some of you here today. And that prayer team is going to be there to pray with you today. We'd love to just encourage you. So if there's a need in your life, I'd love for you to just go back at the very end and just receive prayer. But even more so, let me just make a plea. There might be some here, and you're, you're at the end. I mean, you're at the end. You might be saying, Lord, just, just take my life. I plead with you. I implore you to go back in that back room today and just to seek prayer, just to tell somebody, just to not keep that secret, but just to share it with even one person and have them pray for you. But Jonah's at the point where he's saying, pick, pick me up and throw me into the sea because I realize that this, this is absolutely my fault. In other words, he's saying, I prefer death over obedience. I'm so discouraged, I'm so down, I hate those people so much. I would rather die than go and do what God wants me to do. The men don't throw Jonah overboard. They row harder. Again, the irony. Pagan sailors have more compassion upon these other people around them on the ship than Jonah. And then they cry out and they say, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Don't hold us accountable for killing this innocent man. Lord, have done as you please. And so they took Jonah and they threw him overboard. You see, at the start of the story, you have these sailors praying to a pagan god. At this point in the story, they're not praying to a pagan god. They're calling out to the Lord God Almighty. They're saying, Lord, we, we didn't know who, who you were just a few hours ago at the start of this storm, but now it's very clear who you are. You are the one who sent the storm. God, we cry out to you. It's incredible. There's conversion on the boat. These pagan sailors are now crying out to God. They fear the Lord. Afterwards, they're going to offer a sacrifice to him. Jonah thought that he had won. He thought, that's it. I will die, but I won't have to preach to those filthy Ninevites. I don't have to do what God wants me to do. God, you thought you had me? Ha! I'm, I'm going to win this still in the end. But you cannot escape the living God. Verse 17, and so God provided a great fish and a swallowed Jonah. And he was in the belly of the fish for three days and for three nights. That's the story of the sovereignty of God. God appointed a fish. In chapter 4, we're going to read, God appointed a worm. We read also in chapter 1, God appointed a captain to go speak to Jonah. It's incredible that the call of God is everywhere. Friends, you might think, I, I can't do what God calls me to do. Listen, God used a pagan captain, he used a big fish, and he used a worm. God can use each one of us. God can call us to do things which we can't even imagine. We would think it would be so, so far beyond us. But here's the greatest news in the world. And the gospel comes up all throughout this book. But the good news is today, you don't have to run from God because Jesus was thrown overboard on your behalf. Jesus said, let me give my life that these people might live. 
Jesus came and he gave that great sacrifice. He was thrown into the storm of God's wrath so that the God's, so that God's wrath, that storm would be calmed forever because of Jesus. God's presence, it's incredible. So Jonah is in the belly of this fish. And he cries out to God. And there's a beautiful psalm in chapter 2. As he cries out to God, it's, it's, it's this psalm of repentance. It's this psalm of understanding. Now, there's, there's some repentance. It's not, all, it's not complete repentance, as we'll see a lot more in chapter 3. But he's starting to understand more and more of what God has called him to and the fact that he needs to be, be obedient. And then he understands the greatest truth, that salvation belongs to the Lord. Now, let me just back up because I realize that some people are always lost when you say Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a big fish. There's always skeptics who say, man, I can't go there. Um, I can't go there with the fact that somebody is in the belly of a fish for three days and three nights. Uh, that's just a... That, that, that's just a logical leap that I'm just not able to make. Multiple things. First of all, in Matthew chapter 12 and verse 38, we hear this from Jesus. No sign will be given except the sign of the prophet of Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the big fish, listen, Jesus believed it. Jesus believed that Jonah was literally in the belly of the big fish for three days and three nights. If Jesus believed it, then I can absolutely believe it. But you say, but wait a second, how can somebody survive for that long? How's that possible? Can somebody really survive for three days and three nights in the belly of a fish? Maybe not. Maybe no more than anyone could survive three days and two nights, dead in a tomb, and then come back to life. If God can raise Jesus Christ from the dead, from the physical dead, if he can raise him from the dead, then God can certainly keep somebody safe in the belly of a fish for three days. If you can't believe this, then you have to ask yourself, can I even believe the resurrection? Because the, because the resurrection is a much greater miracle, much larger. And so inside that fish, he's, he's crying out to God. And he says, in my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me from the depths, from the depths of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. And then, and then verse 9 is the theme of Jonah, and it's really the theme of the Old Testament. Salvation belongs to the Lord. He gets to that point where he understands, you know what? It, it is really not about me. It's about God's message, and salvation belongs to the Lord. And then we're told that God commanded the fish, and it vomited him onto dry land. And then this amazing little verse, which we love so much, chapter 3 and verse 1, and the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Praise God that God is the God of the second chance and the third chance, and the 50th chance, and the 500 chance. Praise God that the word of God comes to him a second time. And then lastly, we get down to, okay, here is God's gracious message. Remember, Nineveh is the place that's so far out there that we can't even imagine that they could possibly change. 
It's the family member that you've prayed for your whole life that never seems to change. It's the coworker at your, at, you know, that just always laughs at your faith and just constantly ridicules you. It's your peer in your school who you love, but they just respond to you and they just treat you terribly. You see, Nineveh is, is that situation that just never, ever gets any better. And you doubt that God can really bring about some deep change. And you wonder, could God ever use me? Could God really do things through me to bring about deep change in people? Because he used Jonah. Jonah still hates these people. Still hates these people. And yet he's going to be obedient in one sense to God. And so God's going to burn this place down. And that's pretty much the message. In Hebrew, it's only six words. It's, I mean, that's just it. I mean, there's really no message. 40 days and 40 nights, and Nineveh will be overthrown. That's his sermon. That's his sermon. He's supposed to go to preach God's mercy and God's grace. He's supposed to go to tell them about the Lord. He doesn't. The basic things that are told to do by every prophet, he does not do. There's no word from the Lord. He doesn't name any sins. There's no appeal for any victims of injustice. There's no mention of God at all. Why doesn't he tell them that God is merciful, that God is kind, that God is gracious? Why doesn't he do this? Listen, a terrible prophet who's a racist bully preaches a terrible sermon to a terrible city and God uses it and 120,000 people repent and bow their knee and give their lives to God. Listen, if God can use that situation, he can use you and me. And there's so often times I think, God, you cannot use me. This is not going to work. God can use anybody. This situation is one of the most extreme examples in all of Scripture. We've all watched this in life. We've had times in which we see things and we think, how in the world did God use that? Listen, I have been to some big church meetings where I've heard some terrible sermons. And then hundreds of people come forward and give their lives to Christ. And it's like, what, what in the world is happening here? Listen, God can use whatever he wants to use. God can do things through you that you would never possibly imagine. God can use absolutely anyone. He can use broke, very, you know, very, very broken people, very, very sinful people. It's absolutely incredible. So, white words come to the king of all of Nineveh. And you think he would say, bury that guy out in the lop off his head, you know, and we'll use it as a pillar. But it says that the king says, let everyone urgently call upon God. Let us give up our evil ways and all of our violence. Who knows God may be gracious to us and his fierce anger may turn from us that we would not perish. It's incredible. The king of all of Nineveh is humbled. There's corporate repentance. And so many people in that huge, huge city turn and they give their lives to God. God can use broken, sinful people. The messenger is unfit, the message is too short, the words are incomplete, way too big of a city, way too violent of a city, and yet God miraculously transforms the entire city. 
There's the hope of his free. Things that they have done to people, the people that they have murdered, the cruelty. I mean, it's just, it's just over the top. Could we ever actually forgive him? Would God just overlook their sins? And then I have to ask myself, how in the world has God forgiven my sins? The injuries that I have caused, the pain I have inflicted, the time that my self-righteousness has been a barrier, my pride, my arrogance, the times I have not spoken up when the Lord said, speak up. How many times have I failed to believe that God is a God of just immeasurable grace, unexpected mercy, and impossible outcomes? How many times have I forgotten that? Listen, the only hope for Hamas, the only hope for the Ninevites, the only hope for Putin, the only hope for the gangs of Haiti is my only hope. It's the grace and mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the one thing we all absolutely have in common. My hope comes about because of Jesus, who was a prophet far greater than Jonah. Our only hope is the gospel. It's not religion. It's not trying to do more because religion is always, hey, listen, I got it right. And the gospel is Jesus got it right. Jonah and Jesus are forever linked. They're forever linked. If you turn to Luke ch chapter 11, starting off in verse 30. For as Jonah was assigned to those all throughout Nineveh, so also will the Son of Man be assigned to this generation. Because the men of Nineveh will stand up with the judgment with this generation, and they will all condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, but now someone greater than Jonah is here. Jesus is the greater Jonah. Jesus, I mean, those are the words of Jesus. He is the greater Jonah. He is the one who came and said, listen, I will give my life to save these people. I will be the one that is thrown beneath those waves so that these people can live. I will come and extend grace and mercy and kindness. And then very, very quickly, we would love for it to say chapter 3, verse 11. We wish it would say, and so Jonah returned to Israel rejoicing in the amazing mercies of the Lord, and so ends the, the book of Jonah. There is no chapter 3 and verse 11. That's not what it says. Because Jonah continues to make trouble. In Chapter 4, he wants to see the destruction of the city. He preached, and he knew that there might be some sense of repentance, but he still is praying, God, I want to destroy these people. So he goes, and he just watches over the city. He's up on a hill. It's very hot, obviously, in the Middle East, and he's just so angry. He's just burning up. And then all of a sudden, God graciously provides this vine to grow over his head. And he thinks, oh, Wow. And it's, it's, it's fascinating because the words that are actually in Hebrew, he's so angry that God might forgive those people. And then it says actually in Hebrew, he's exceedingly joyful that he has some shade. Talk about the wrong priorities in life. It's bizarre. He's exceedingly angry. Then he's exceedingly glad. And then it says, God appoints a worm, come and eats away at this little shade. And then he is furious again. And God just says, wait a second, 120,000 people just repented, and you're furious about a little shade thing over your head? Could you have your priorities more out of line? It's interesting because the book ends with a question. 
And the question is basically, how could you be so foolish? How could you be so short-sighted? Listen, God can use you here. We need to be praying for those people that we think are so far away from God that they could never be reached because that was these people of Nineveh. They were so far. And yet God came and did a gracious work, a merciful work. And that brings us to the Lord's table. The only reason why we can come here is because Jesus was thrown into the sea for us. He was thrown into the midst of God's wrath for you and for me. And we're able to know life because there was love beneath the waves and Jesus showed us that love, the greatest gift that we will ever receive so that we would know mercy and grace and story. And we hope the kids like it. Father, there is so much here for each one of us. We thank you, Hezbollah and the Jewish people, Putin, the gangs of Haiti. Father, we could go on and on from those people right now that just feel like they're a long way away from you. We pray that each one of those groups would understand they desperately need a Messiah and you are the Messiah that they have been longing for. So, Father, do a good work. Use us to reach our coworkers, our peers, our friends, our neighbors, those people we think can never be reached. Father, you can use us here. You use Jonah. You can use us. So let us be messengers and heralds of that message of grace and mercy and peace. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. When, when you're ready, you come. <laughs>